We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now, on to my guest for today, Priya Amin. Priya is co-founder of Flexible, a company dedicated to help with childcare when your regular childcare falls through. She calls it 911, or the bat signal of childcare. Priya started out in corporate marketing for IBM and then Nestle. In 2010, she had her first child and realized that the corporate world was not very friendly for working moms. She quit her job and became a stay-at-home mom. When she attempted to return to the workforce after a few years, she found herself at a disadvantage because of the motherhood penalty. So she launched her own marketing consulting company. Then, she and another Pittsburgh mom got together and hatched the idea for Flexible. They won a spot in a business accelerator program and began by providing pop-up child care events like conferences and network meetings. Like so many impacted by the pandemic, Priya found she had to pivot drastically when COVID hit. Seeing a great need to help parents working from home alongside their children, Flexible now provides virtual childcare. Parents can arrange for their child to be led virtually in an interactive activity for an hour while they participate in a meeting or get some work done. It's just the beginning for Flexible. As the company navigates new terrain, while trying to meet a very real need. As Priya notes, the problem of childcare has a huge economic impact, and it's a problem that requires everyone working together to find solutions. Now, let's get better together. Priya Amin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you for, for taking the time. Uh, I know you're uh, in Pittsburgh on the East Coast. I'm here on the West Coast. That's right. Uh, trying to, uh, there's different views of fall, <laughs> depending Very on, much so. of course, where you're from. Yeah. Uh, here in San Francisco, our fall is there's a little bit of fog and that's it. You, <laughs> it's probably going to snow soon. So Yes. Um, Although it's 80 degrees today, but beautiful fall colors and 
Yeah, it's it's apple cider season here. Yeah, so. cool. Yeah, we don't have seasons in San Francisco. It's either gray <laughs> or blue, and that's it. That's that's our. It's still season. really nice. I feel like it's yeah. gray a whole lot more out out east, out in Pittsburgh. But that's, yeah, could be true. Could be true. Um, so I want to talk a lot about uh, your company, Flexible, in in a second. Uh, because it's interesting what you guys are doing and how you're trying to do it. And I, I clearly want to know how COVID has been affecting what you're doing. And you'll, you'll, the guys will know what I talk, what I'm talking about in a second. Um, but before I do that, I, I'll always love to ask the question, how did you uh, get to do what you're doing today? Huh. Yes. What's the crazy journey, right? That, that got me to where I am. So it's funny because I think every cliche sort of entrepreneurial story is like the, the squiggle line, right? And that's exactly what I kind of went through too. Um, so professionally, my background's marketing and I started out in corporate America. I worked for IBM for a little while as a product manager. And then I moved over to Nestle and I was a brand manager there. And it was great. I loved it. And it was like job security and awesome. But then I had my first kid, which... This was back in 2010. So he's 10 years old now, which like is like insane to me. But I had him and uh, everything sort of flipped. I, you know, didn't really want to work 60 hours a week anymore. I didn't really want to travel anymore. Um, but I was expected to. And the tougher part, too, was I was uh, I didn't feel as though I could advocate for myself internally. So after a really hard year and a half or so of just kind of trying to balance things, trying to get folks internally to help me out. Um, I left my career and um, that's actually what brought us to Pittsburgh. I was in St. Louis working uh, for Nestle and I left to be a stay-at-home mom, which was nuts because like at the time, I didn't see another option besides that either or, and my employer didn't really give me an option either. So it was either stay here or best of luck to you. So I said, okay, great, I'm going to leave. And I took the opportunity to be home with my son. And then I had my second child in that time. But um, the saddest part was when I was ready to go back to work, work was not ready to take me back. So that, yeah, that gap that I had on my resume is real. Like the motherhood penalty is real. And the sad part was, right. Um, I think it's coming full circle now with COVID that people are understanding a lot more of like the gender equity gap and the gender wage gap and the role that the motherhood penalty plays in that. But back in 2012, this was new research. This was stuff that like companies were just starting to understand and not really putting things in place to like, or implementing anything to, to help with that. So I ended up just starting a consulting company on my own because I had a really hard time getting back into the workplace. But in starting my own company, which was great, I started a marketing consulting company and it was lovely and I could work whatever hours I wanted to. But as my kids started getting older and my baby became like more active and whatnot, I found less and less time to work. And I also found that I couldn't go to networking events. I couldn't go to client meetings because I'd have to bring my kids with me. And so that's when sort of the fire was lit under my butt around like the inequities around access to childcare. So it was interesting because I saw the intersection of lack of childcare from a professional perspective. And that really kind of set me off on this path to figure out how do you bring more access to childcare for working parents? Um, and especially the, the key thing that I wanted to solve was how do you find childcare like right when you need it? So for me, it was, hey, I've got a client meeting at 11 o'clock tomorrow, but there's no nanny that I can call right now that's like, sure, I'm available at 11 o'clock tomorrow. You have to either like cross your fingers and like put something out on Facebook or like text all your friends and be like, can somebody watch my child? Um, but either way, it was kind of a crapshoot. So um, that's kind of how Flexible started. So Flexible, um, I launched in 2016 with a co-founder. And we um, essentially set out to solve that issue. What do you do when childcare falls through? Um, and the interesting thing is, it always does. And that's the key is the nanny's always going to call off at some point. Mom may say, oh, shoot, I can't come today because my car's broken down school's closed because it's election day or there's a water main break, right? Or some random, you know, in-service day or... <laughs> exactly. Or there's a global pandemic. Oh, a global and pandemic. Exactly. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> All the schools are closed. Um, and so 
that that's just it. The crux of what we're trying to solve is how can there almost be like this bat signal or like this childcare 911 that like when everything else falls through, there's still something there as a backup. And that's what um, Flexible is on a mission to solve. Um, prior to COVID, we were starting to solve that by actually bringing pop-up childcare to events and to offices and to conferences so that for those specific moments when a parent's like, I really want to go to this networking event, but I can't because see above my nanny called off or my husband's traveling or something. And so that worked out really well from a physical pop-up perspective. Um, and we did a lot of childcare here in Pittsburgh. We partnered with like 150 organizations. It was amazing. And then COVID happened, <laughs> um, which I know yeah. so many of your listeners are in the same boat. Right oh, there. yeah, everyone, everyone. Right? There's Lost not a person jobs. on the planet that hasn't been inf- affected by Ex- it. Not infected by it, but affected <laughs> by it. <laughs> I hope not. Fingers crossed. Right? Fingers crossed, exactly. Um, yeah, and it affected us tremendously because here in Pennsylvania, our governor, Governor Wolf, deemed childcare as non-essential. Um, so we had to shut down within a week of COVID. And what that meant was we had to tell all of our customers and our clients, like, hey, we can't honor your contract right now because for the next six to, you know, infinity weeks, we are being told that uh, childcare is not essential. And what that meant was I had to lay off most of my staff. Uh, my co-founder actually left in the midst of it as well, which was devastating. Um it was hard, but what we sort of did, and there was like a core group of three of us that kind of stuck stuck around, myself and, and two other women. And we kind of just like took a minute and like took a breath and we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And then we just started listening to the market and we were like, okay, there's still obviously a ton of need. There's a ton of people who are now working remotely and school is closed There's a bunch of employers that are scrambling and trying to figure out how am I going to keep people in the workplace. And what that started me on a journey down was to figure out that childcare, which it always has been, but but, um, COVID definitely brought this to the limelight. Childcare is not an individual or family issue. It is an economic issue. And COVID unearthed that in a way that hasn't been clear in over 60 years since uh, World War II. When you don't have foundational childcare access, society crumbles. And that's exactly what happened. And so we set out to then figure out how do we take that, that idea, that fact, if you will, that $57 billion is lost in productivity per year because of childcare breakdowns and amplify that in a way that gets employers just, you know, rallied around this idea of childcare as a benefit can keep people in the workplace, can um, keep people happy and productive. And we're seeing a huge increase in, uh, you know, just just partnerships and and people wanting to work with us. Because just last month, 865,000 women left the workforce, all because of childcare. Yeah, I know. That's that's a big that's going to be a big brain drain on, on the economy too. I mean, it's just, it's so fascinating because they got to make that choice, right? Like what's the economic choice. And that's a tough, tough call, but given the inequalities that are happening generally with, with women's pay and everything, I mean, more often than not, you're going to have to make the hard economic choice. That's right. May not want to, but what else can you do? I mean, when, when you're putting it kind of put in a corner, I think is the word I would use. And, you know, interestingly, though, you know, about 4 million people have left left the workforce, sorry, since COVID happened. And it was pretty, like, evenly split between men and women. Just September was starkly all women. Like, it was unbelievable. And it was, again, because of school. Because nobody really knew what was going to happen with schools in the fall. And then when it finally came, everyone was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? There's hybrid, there's cyber, there's in-person. And when you're in person, somebody gets sick, then they shut it down for two weeks. And there was just so much uncertainty. So what we're seeing now is organizations are saying, okay, we're probably not going to go back to our office. Or we're probably going to extend, you know, the ability to work from home. What does that mean then? It means we have all these benefits that we used to provide, like free lunch, for example, that we can take those dollars and put right. them towards other things. And that's where right. virtual childcare comes into play. 
And so we've been, again, knock on wood, successful in connecting with, you know, SMBs all the way up to Fortune 500 companies everywhere, including the Bay Area and, and all across the country, because that's exactly what companies need is backup care. They need to figure out how to um, support their employees and provide them things like backup care. Um, and the interesting thing, too, is, you know, like I said before, the thesis and sort of the uh, the the soapbox that I always sit on is childcare always falls through. It's not just relegated to COVID. It's not just something that is, you know, refined or um, defined by COVID. And so backup care is always something that can be uh, vital to keeping a mom in the workplace. One of the um, the really startling statistics that came out last month in um, this report called the State of the Working Parent, it's by one of our partners, her name is Cleo. They're actually a, a San Francisco Bay Area company too. Um, said that the average working parent is losing three hours of productivity per day, which is like half the day. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? Oh no, I I can believe that, no <sighs> doubt. My my right? fiance, my fiance has an eleven year old daughter, and you know, in San Francisco, it's what distance learning. I think it's yep. what they call it, distance learning. There, no one knows when they're going to go back to school. Although a lot of the private schools here are starting to go back. And so the school district's been really like under the gun and frankly have not handled this well at all, I think by all measures. Um, yeah. But, you know, they, they've got this fine line to, to, to kind of grapple because, you know, protection of, of vulnerable populations, not only like the teachers, right? Some of them can get sick and some teachers have actually, you know, passed away from COVID. But also right. one of the things that that you it really just stark, starkly, not starkly, what what gets amplified is that school is more than just learning, right? It's exactly. social. It's the social safety net for kids that are over, that are actually vulnerable. And so now you got this whole mess of a thing where you know what's the right thing to do, and it's a it's a hard thing to navigate. Right. But the the, the unif the San Francisco Unified School District has not been doing a good job of it because well, they're, they're, it's again who knows why, but boy. They've been getting a lot of flack. Well, it's across the country, right? I mean, I think all school districts, especially the ones that are like more in the media, like New York and Chicago and, you know, San Francisco and L.A. And, you know, they're they're scrambling because I don't think there's a playbook, right, for when there's a global pandemic and you can't actually be in person. And there's all these, you know, rules from a social distancing standpoint. What do you do, right? And then, like, on top of that, to your point, layering on things like IEPs and, um, you know, uh, students that have... Uh, you know, special needs or learning disabilities. How do you handle that? Like this yeah. is such new territory. My, uh, my nephew's got special needs and, yeah. you know, they're, he's remote on zoom and he's, yeah. you know, he's on the spectrum and it's like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so my brother's been like, Oh yeah, I guess I'm his teacher now. Right. And how many other parents are saying that, right? It's nuts. So like what I, what I keep saying too, which I mean, it's tough because as a mom and as an entrepreneur, I'm kind of like, I want to solve it all, but like no one entity, no one person can solve it all. What it's going to take. And this is it. Like, this is why I love having conversations like this and continuing to talk about this is because it takes concerted effort on both the private sector and the public sector's behalf to fix this. This is not a one and done, like, hey, startup world, figure this out, or hey, corporate America, figure this out. It's everybody coming together, talking about this, creating meaningful legislative changes on a state and a federal level, enacting ways to provide more access to childcare, bring in innovative solutions like virtual care, or pods, or whatever it may be. And then everything kind of creates an ecosystem of care. And I mean, it's not necessarily like, the best solution, but it's a piecemeal solution that gets us closer to a universal option. And we've already seen that something like universal childcare works to drive economic growth in other, other countries. Like we've seen it in Germany and Finland and in Iceland, where having access to childcare on a universal level helps to grow economies and to keep people in the workforce. And you know, it's it's unfortunate that it took a global pandemic for us to kind of figure that out, but we've done it before. And that's the important thing is in, you know, during World War II, the Lanham Act was passed and we in like initiated, you know, universal childcare. 
And the Department of Defense has a full child care um, program in place too. Like we can do this. We can totally do this. It just takes more awareness and activism and like legislative changes and, you know, those big corporate entities saying, yeah, this is important and it's not a family issue. It's an economic one. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. No, no, no. It's okay to get <laughs> up, get on the soapbox. I mean, so- someone's got to say it, right? It's like, I mean, and again, it's, it's almost, you, <laughs> it's all, well, I wouldn't say it's obvious, yeah. But what happens during times of change and pandemics is that everything accelerates. Trends that were already there accelerate to the point where it's absolutely like, oh, oh, geez, I guess this is really happening. Oh, my gosh. You know, like you can't you can't just sit around and wait for the slow roll of, you know, right. government. Right. You can kind of tell. And, and I agree that it's a it's a society problem that needs to get to have a society solution. And, and, you know, women shouldn't be penalized for having to, you know, occasionally take care of their kids or maybe even dads should step up more. And I mean, there's a whole conversation to have about that. Absolutely. Um, And again, like where, where I stand is it shouldn't also just fall to the nuclear family to figure out. And that's like, that's the thing that I want to push more than anything is like, there needs to be more conversation around the democratization of childcare. And that's where organizations step in where if they provide more subsidies, if they provide more avenues for access, then it takes that onus off of the parents in general. Like, so um, I, I joke about this, but like, I know my husband and I have been in this situation before. I'm sure a lot of your listeners who are parents have been in this situation too, where like, you look at the school calendar and you're like, oh crap, it's, a, it's an in-service day. And then you legit like flip a coin, like who's taking the day off? Like, that's the conversation. I'm like, we shouldn't have to have that anymore. Like somebody's employer should have childcare available so that if that happens, it's like, oh, cool. I can just get childcare for the day. We're covered. Right. Like, why is that not a part of that's our, our, our culture. That's like the question that I'm, I'm trying to, to like just answer for myself and, and hopefully try to bring to the masses. Like it, it's, it seems like a no brainer because in so, again, so many other cultures and countries, this, yeah. this idea of a, you know, blended culture or blended family or universal childcare, it yeah. works, right? It Childcare never falls through because there's always somebody else there to like help out. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, greed. I mean, it's it's something we have to come to reckon with yeah. um, if we want to continue to see prosperity and really have a very, you know, more inclusive society because, you know, that's the way what it's going to take to have kind of the equal opportunity, equal playing field, kind of fill in the gaps where things that happen, you know, can, can be dealt with and not have to burden one particular gender (laughs) or not. Um, So, so, so tell me about flexible then. So I virtual childcare, I've never heard of. (laughs) And so (laughs) I am super curious how virtual childcare works. Yeah. So um, we pivoted from physical like pop-up childcare, but we brought like basically the same value proposition to um, the virtual space because parents were on Zoom calls and their kids were in the next room. So we thought, why can't we pop up online? And that's essentially what virtual childcare is. It allows kids ages three to 10 to like pick up their device or get onto a, um, onto a, a tablet or a PC and log on to a Zoom call. And the great part is is two things. One, um, because this is backup and last minute, these are only 30 to 60 minute sessions. This is not all day. This is not an alternative to regular daycare or to school. This is, oh shoot, I've got a last minute meeting or, oh, I've got to record a podcast. I'm going to get my kid onto a call, onto a, um, a flexible uh, virtual um, childcare session so that I'm not disturbed, right? Or I can focus. And so all of our calls are led by background checked, vetted, fully insured hosts, their caregivers that are virtual hosts. And so they do all kinds of fun and engaging content. And I mean, when I say content, these guys are like content masters. It's amazing. We've got an acting coach and a yoga instructor and a magician and um, a historian, a storyteller. We've got all kinds of amazing people that also happen to have 
backgrounds in early childhood education or in, um, you know, either working at a daycare or being a nanny or being a babysitter in the past. And so these are like really fun and engaging individuals that keep kids, again, ages three to 10 engaged and occupied for those short periods of time. And what we found is, again, going back to that statistic that I mentioned before, those three hours of productivity that the average working parent loses per day, even if they get one or two of those hours back, I mean, that's huge. That's huge from the perspective of finishing up, you know, a quarterly report or running payroll or whatever it may be, um, or getting a promotion or finding the next job that they want, right? So um, what we're finding is uh, that parents are getting their time back, which is awesome. And kids love it, which is great. Um, we've got a couple of like videos on the website that show what it looks like, which is cool. And we're just continuing to expand the content. Um, but more importantly, the positioning and sort of like the value proposition again that we're we're um, we're messaging more than anything is this concept of always there childcare. Anytime that childcare falls through, we'll be there for you. So it's again the bat signal. It's like the childcare nine one one. It's just when um, when childcare falls through, um, flexible can be there. And the interesting thing too, back to your point, what happens often, and this happens to me too as a mom, you know, you have something set up again, whether it's school or a nanny or whatnot. When that falls through, you try to find the next thing, and if that doesn't um, pan out, nine times out of ten, mom says, "I'll just do it," and that's when she doesn't go to work, she takes the day off, or she leaves the office, whatever it may be. Um, that's what we want to prevent. We want to prevent the, I'm just going to do it myself. It's an opportunity to be that ally and to be the, uh, yeah, the support system that, that parents need. And in an ideal world, we wouldn't exist, right? Like in an ideal world, it would be enough support. <laughs> or right? you would be part of the solution. You know. Sure. Sure. Yes. Yes. Don't put yourself out of business too quick. <laughs> I appreciate the altruism in that, but no, I don't. <laughs> yep. Don't put that in the slide deck when you go get venture. Oh, exactly. Right, right. right exactly. Like, oh, move that to the appendix. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, well, eventually, uh, we're not going out of business. We're going to be a unicorn exactly. for sure. We're going to, we're going to rule the world. We'll be the next Amazon. <laughs> so the, um, yes. I mean, so, um, so, I mean, the entrepreneur journey for you, I mean, you, you were, have you were you and your co-founder entrepreneurs ahead of this? I know you said you you were in you know corporate and then became a became a, a mother and then tried to go back. So this is like your first entrepreneur gig, it seems. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I ran a small marketing consulting firm, so like started an LLC, but that was a solopreneur venture. I literally just worked with like you know friends and you know, was able to pay bills, which was wonderful. And it was really great to at least get that sort of foundational business experience um, or entrepreneurial experience, I guess. But this totally is my first foray into things like, you know, funding and, um, you know, just just thinking about a growth and scalability plan for something that is tech enabled. That's something too, that's, you know, just different for me. I'm a marketer. I am not a tech person by any means, but I am building a two-sided marketplace. And the interesting thing about that is, you know, when you're in MVP stage, which is kind of where we are, you utilize whatever you can to build things manually. But we're at this point, knock on every piece of wood, six months in from when we like essentially pivoted and relaunched this company to where we actually have the opportunity and need to build out a more robust tech platform. So we just hired an engineer, which is really exciting. And we've also hired um, an HR person as well as a salesperson. Um, we're really ramping up um, our growth and our scalability because this is something that we validated in the market and people want. We've seen usage increase um, month over month, which is great. And unfortunately, now that we're heading into cold and flu season, my hypothesis is that we're going to see a huge increase because of sick care. And that's one of the other areas that I've been trying to solve for years now. And we were never able to from a physical standpoint, physical childcare standpoint, because it's really, really hard to be like, yeah, let's keep the six kids here and let's keep the well kids here. Or more importantly, from a liability standpoint, would I have to hire an RN or an LPN to take care of those sick kids? Like that's really hard. 
from a virtual standpoint, it's a lot easier to solve that. And I'm excited to see what usage looks like and if we can actually solve that issue once and for all. Because what happens, right? I'm usually the one, I mean, my husband's done this, you know, a few times too, but I'm usually the one that the school calls when my kids are in the nurse's office and something has happened. And so I have to say, whoops, sorry, guys, got to cancel the rest of my day. I'm going to go get my kids. And then I try to piecemeal and say, okay, I'm going to try to get a few things done. Imagine if you can say, hey, I've got to call at two and at four. I'm going to get my kids on a virtual um, childcare session, both of those hours, get work done. Boom. Great. And nine times out of 10, and this is especially true for COVID, especially with the things that the CDC has put out and stuff, kids may have a low-grade fever and the sniffles. And so they'll still probably feel okay, but they still won't be allowed at school or at daycare. And so how do you keep them from bouncing off the walls versus just, you know, and I get it. Like some of our competition, if you will, is just YouTube and like TV, but there's a lot of, right? But there's so many Right. There's so many parents that are like, I'm so sick of screen time and I want something besides screen time. And what we um, what we pride ourselves on is this is a different kind of screen time because it's interactive and we don't mute the kids. It's either small groups or one on one. It's, hey, let's draw, you know, a Disney character or let's act out your favorite character from Star Wars or, you know, whatever it may be. And so it's getting kids to move around. It's getting that validation that they're hoping to get. You know, as a mom of two elementary kids, what I've seen with my kids is when they're logging on to school virtually, they get on, there's like 20 other kids on Zoom call with them and they're immediately muted. And so they just sit there and it's a one-way conversation. They're like, oh my gosh. And that's exactly the opposite of what we're doing. It's anywhere from, you know, one to five kids at the most, not, not muted and everybody's able to interact with everybody else. So there's this continuous interaction and flow conversation and validation again of like, oh my gosh, that's such a great picture. Can I see it again? What did you make? Can you tell me the story that you wrote? This is wonderful. And so kids again, feel, um, yeah, just validated. And then mom and dad can get work done, which is like the whole point of all of this. No, true. And, and also, um, even though mom and dad can get work done, I mean, obviously, for the kids <clears throat> having some interaction, even if it's not in person with other kids or with someone that's actually actively engaged with them. I mean, a screen, you know, screen time, like YouTube videos and everything are not interactive. So exactly. you sort of stare at the wall. Right. And then there's also all the issues with uh, safety and security online, which yes. a lot of parents are very nervous about as well. I mean, there's notorious um, zoom <laughs> stories about <sighs> things dropping in that shouldn't have been dropped in and weird stuff. So, um, exactly. which, which I know they've, they're fixed or they're trying to fix, but people and, still worry about it because it's a lot, you know, it's vulnerable too. They're vulnerable. When they're exactly. And to your point, I mean, it's like, you know, it's overwhelming for parents to have to figure that out, like what's safe and what isn't. Right. And so we, we have full liability insurance. We have um, general and cyber liability insurance. Um, but we also, again, we vet all of our caregivers. So it's not some, you know, random person. This is somebody who went through a very stringent process to be able to be on a zoom call with your child. Um, and that being said, I mean, we're always thinking about how to make our safety even better. Um, but it's, it's hard because to your point, it's a lot easier to get onto YouTube, but then YouTube's going to just start advertising things to you or, you know, recommending videos that you're like, maybe you're my child should not be watching yeah, this. No, and, some, some of those recommendations are pretty bad. <laughs> and, and on top of it too, it's all the political ads right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. 100%. No, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, could just imagine. Right. I just inundated with that stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And then you hear your kids like say something and you're just like, what did you just say? you're like, you can't watch that anymore. Sorry. No more, no more. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. So, so seeing a little bit more uptick, obviously because of COVID, um, a lot of, uh, just, it's just such a, the, I don't know how to put this because like, this seems obvious yet (laughs) not so obvious that this would work or that people would take advantage of it. I know, uh, screen time is always a big issue, I mean, it's just more and more, they're more and more on these calls. And it just, I know it's not good for them because they need to interact with kids and, and physically, you know, do stuff, of course, because that's really important as well. Um, and and I know just 
situations being what they are. Do, do you do you think that this this will continue after COVID and after the shutdown, or is this part of a piece, or do you see your other side of your business coming back? Yeah, it's funny because I've I've been asked this question so many times, and I'm like, if only I had a crystal ball. Um, I mean, what what I've what I've hypothesized, and I think there's a lot of market indicators that that point to this. Virtual care is here to stay. I think there's been a lot of movement in the VC world even to, um, you know, invest in more companies that are in the virtual care space. That being said, too, you know, we've seen so many companies, especially in the tech space, where I think they kind of are the ones that said cultural standpoint, have been advocating for working from home indefinitely. So that's really interesting. And then the third piece is school choice. So the fact that a lot of kids are, you know, to your point, they're thriving at home. They love being at home. My my 10-year-old loves being on Zoom calls and is like just so happy to not have to deal with other people, is so happy sitting in front of his computer with his, with his um, headphones on. And then on the opposite end, there are kids that are like, hey, I want to be in person and that's where I thrive. And so that school choice is going to be a part of our ecosystem, which means things like virtual childcare are always going to have a place in the childcare ecosystem. And I think the other thing that's very important to note is virtual childcare, especially flexible, is not an alternative to regular childcare. It's a backup. It's filling the gaps. It's complementary. And I think that's the best part is as we grow, there's absolutely opportunity to add to our portfolio. And back to your point, we could go back and revisit on-site childcare. We could revisit pop-up in different ways, but they all will still be in the vein of backup care. And I think that's always going to be something that's needed. Um, delivering on that may look different, but that value proposition, I think, is where we're always going to be and, and flexible. I think will be relevant because we're, we're staying in that space. Yeah, I mean, I can I can definitely see that. I mean, the the gaps in childcare are, I mean, immense. And I mean, just imagine like if you're not a professional that can work from home, right. <laughs> you know. I mean, that no one's really addressed even that. And I don't think this virtual childcare would address that. If I'm, yeah, I'm probably, that's the. Yeah. Like, so you're talking about essential workers, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. We can't. And that's the tough part is our, our previous model totally could. And what's nutty is the, like the first couple of weeks after, you know, like we basically shut down as a, as a, as a country, we got a ton of inbound requests from hospitals and, you know, from places that were like, can you set up something in one of our break rooms? We're like, oh, let's talk to our lawyers. We'll get back to you. And our lawyers advised us that because we were deemed non-essential, we really, we just couldn't do that. Um, we're, we're in a place, unfortunately, that our company specifically can't answer that call. But what I've seen, which is very heartening, is a lot of municipalities are rising to the occasion and starting to create unique pop-up options, which is great. Um, which I'm kind of like, man, like that's, we created that. Like it's, it makes me so sad, but at the same time, I'm really, really happy to see that government entities and cities and municipalities are seeing that that's a viable option to support um, essential workers. Um, and that being said, I mean, the other cool thing too is I literally just did a Google search earlier today of some of the open RFPs in, in childcare. And there's a lot of government entities that are just asking for like innovative wraparound childcare solutions that kind of can help a bunch of different people at a bunch of different locations, regardless of whether they're out in the field or at home. Um, and so it's really interesting because we can fit in, um, if we, you know, partner with another firm or if we come together with, you know, several other options. So there's a lot of really cool collaborative opportunities right now from a childcare standpoint too, because it's hard for one company to be all the things for all people. Um, and it's hard again, to your point for the, you know, federal government or even state governments to like implement some magical solution. Like it's going to take years and years. So yeah, partnerships have been really interesting and we've had the um, privilege of partnering with some really great companies in the childcare tech space because they're more in like in home and in person and we're virtual and there's like a lot of complimentary opportunities there, which is cool. Oh, that, that is great. I mean, yeah, I just, you know, cause I mean, here in San Francisco, if you were an essential worker, 
um, they had they provided childcare if, if you were a parent. I mean, that was just yeah. part of the deal. Uh, they had to, or no one would show up. Right. Uh, so, so how, how did how did you and your co-founder get together? How, how did that? How does that all work? I mean, yeah, I'm always fascinated by co-founder, what I call dating stories, which oh I know my gosh, seems a little weird, but yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it feels that way sometimes. Well, it's it's you know it's it's kind of sad because we we ended up getting divorced, but. Um, you know, she and I just were on a very similar path. And hilariously, prior to starting this company, like the way that I had envisioned, like solving my issue of like, how can I find childcare for, you know, client meetings or whatnot, was to create a co-working space that had drop-in childcare on site. So I was thinking in my head, like, hey, if there's a, there's a co-working space and I could go there with my kids and say, hey, can you meet me there and we can have our meeting there? Awesome, right? Hilariously, my co-founder was starting the exact same thing on the opposite side of town. And we just happened to meet through a Facebook group because I had started a Facebook group for this co-working space saying, hey, coming soon, who wants to like get in on this? And there was like a few hundred people and part of it. And she was like, I started the same thing. And so we met and it was like sparks flew and we're like, we need to get married and have a baby right now. And like, that's, that's essentially what happened. We were like, <laughs> let's just start a company. And I love the, it. I love it, it. The, the nuttiest part of it all, which again, is like sad because I, I miss her very much, but you know, she left to, to be actually the executive director for a nonprofit that was very relevant from a COVID standpoint. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. by all means, I mean, please, like, yeah, you, know, you need to you do, gotta do the do. path is the path, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. Wish your luck and you hope one day your path shall meet again. But no, exactly. I mean, that's part of it. Yeah. Right. But like, amazingly, we got together, we had dinner once we were like, uh, we love each other. And then the second time that we got together, we were like, how about we apply to this accelerator program in Pittsburgh? It's called Alpha Lab. So we did, and we put this like janky deck together and we were like, uh, we think this is a really good idea. And we got in and we got 50 grand in seed money. And it was one of those darling stories that was like, we like are the two childcare women that like created this tech startup. And we were like a part of this cohort of like super techie dudes. And we were like the two moms that like brought our kids every day. And it was like amazing. And so for those first four years, it was, it was magical quite honestly, because we were working towards solving something that was real and legit. It was tough, obviously from a funding standpoint, people don't fund in the fam tech space nearly as much, but now with COVID, there's a lot more funding again, like I mentioned in virtual care too. Um, and so, you know, she definitely still has an advisory role in the company. So it's nice to like get her, her thoughts and opinions on things, but it's pretty much myself and I've got um, seven other team members and I've got a bunch of caregivers that are working with us and we're just yeah, we're like running at like full speed to to try and figure this out and help as many companies, help as many parents as possible. And yeah, just, just be there all the time. Yeah, it does seem that, I mean, I've talked with a lot of entrepreneurs during COVID. I mean, I started this podcast during COVID, like the yeah. first day of shelter in place, as I tell everyone was here in San Francisco, it was March 16th. That also happens to be my mom's birthday. So it's like, start the podcast, shelter in place, mom's birthday, all the same day, right? So it's like, oh yay, God. like this is either the best idea in the world or the dumbest idea in the world. <laughs> Who knows, right? Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I've seen a lot of this happen where like COVID's accelerated a lot of startups. Like yeah. they can't keep up with the pace of demand or the just the opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Right. And it's just, for whatever reason, maybe, I don't know why. So it's because some people are like super busy and other people are like, oh, I don't know what to do. I lost my job. They're, yeah. you know, trying to sort it out, which is awful, but boy, it's like definitely asymmetric, you know, depending on what industry you're in, it's like, yeah. oh, I can't keep up. Like I couldn't keep up before. Like, oh, wow. I really can't keep up now. Something, something's really, really going on. So it, it's interesting you say that because I was on a, a panel discussion yesterday and, um, the same question came up, which was, hey, if I, you know, I lost my job, what are some, some options for me? And we started this really great conversation around like, why not collaborate with some folks and try to figure out some things that the market needs? Like to your point, this is exactly the time where we have the opportunity to collaborate across the country or across the world that like we didn't have the opportunity to do even a little while ago. We have the opportunity to connect with investors again, across the country, across the world. And we have collaboration opportunities that like 
Yeah. I mean, are born out of things like, okay, well, how many people are in need of, you know, mental health services or how many people are in need of, you know, um, food delivery or, you know, grocery delivery and like so many tech enabled services that can be, uh, yeah, that, that, that can, that can be of help. And, and, um, yeah, like to your point, I'm sure like the grub hubs of the world are like overwhelmed. So there's a lot of space in that market because yeah. that market's growing so much. So yeah, like- I mean, everyone's got a shelter in place. I mean, I, I interviewed this guy named Nate Deanna and he, he has this company called dumpling, which is a personal shopper kind of the, it's the anti gig <laughs> gig economy where they, kind of build their own little companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you get to get the same person and you like build the goodwill, which you should. So yeah. And he's seeing similar thing where huge amount of demand, uh, a lot of people are um, trying to figure out, you know, how to, you know, with shelter in place with things opening and closing and closing back again. And I mean, that yeah. infrastructure is just going to keep on having to build so that when this does happen again, which it probably will, yeah. will be, will be, unfortunately we'll, you know, will be used one will be useful, but two, you know, the infrastructure will be in place so that it is not as disruptive. Right. And, um, it was interesting because actually yesterday is the first time I took like a lift yeah. seven months. You know, wow. I'm like, oh, I don't know what you, cause my car's in the shop and I'm like, yeah. huh, this, how's this going to work? Right. And it was, you know, cool and everything, but it's been seven months. I used to take one a couple times a month, <laughs> you know, it's right. like not, not, it's just so fascinating how, you really, really see opportunity to do not only do good, but a lot of people are trying to do good, but just accelerate all these trends that are happening. I mean, there's yeah. no no doubt in my mind, more more digital, more work from home, yeah. more flex time, you know, yeah. more, you know, how to solve the childcare problem, how to solve the schooling problem, how to solve the healthcare and just everything that's been stressed to the limit and Correct. breaking and right. now it's like, well, now we got to fix it. So yeah, exactly. it is, it, it's a lot of opportunity. And I, and I hope, hope as we come out of it, you know, things like what you're doing, the innovations there will, will sort of like come together and feel like, okay, let's just, let's just go solve problems. Like, I, I don't want to hear complaining. I mean, complaining. Okay. Complain a little bit. Okay. Now let's solve the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause everyone you know, point this yeah. way, point that way. And I'm like, gosh, man, let's just solve some problems. That's what entrepreneurs are good at. Right. Solve problems. Right. It's relentless optimism too. Right. With like this, Ooh, what if we fill in the blank? Right. And I think the other key piece too, that gives people, um, opportunity is that it's an election year and there's going to be changes again at the local federal state level. So that's going to mean that there's potential opportunities for things to change, for new policies to be pushed through. There may be opportunity for, you know, even from like things like broadband access or yeah, again, like access to childcare or paid family leave. And there's going to start being hopefully some some changes. And so that can also affect the private sector and the startup world as well. So for anybody listening, I would definitely encourage you to like, if you're in a bind and you're like, I need to do something because I'm not in a good place right now, like consider starting something. Cause I think this is a really great time to do it. Even though we're stuck at home, you know, to your point, there's so many opportunities to innovate and so many things that need to be fixed and so many problems that need answers. Oh. Maybe you're the next entrepreneur. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. I mean, I think that's the, that's the, what I've been finding, you know, even though I do, you know, PR and marketing, you know, my, my late wife's company that I, I talk, talk about her all the time. Um, but you know, there's still all these other opportunities that are just come, come at you, right. Just inundated almost to the point where I, you know, I have to say no to a lot of things, but they're all good ideas that are just being accelerated by the times that we're in. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been really great. I now know more about virtual childcare, which I never <laughs> and the importance ever wanted of having, to know. <laughs> well, no, like it's again, have the conversation with with people, like get them up to speed on the real impact of uh, not having good, reliable childcare yeah. on families. More importantly, women who yeah. bear the brunt of the burden of childcare and household duties even though 
men have taken on a little more of that as time goes on. Yeah. The burden, the, the deficit, the mom deficit or whatever they call it is the, real. The motherhood penalty. Yep. Motherhood penalty is real. Yeah, it is. And it is. The, the sooner that we as a society get towards the more making that equal as best we can and like recognizing that that shouldn't be a penalty, just the more the better will be. And and it may, who, who knows how it will go, but like, then let's just have people make that decision because they can make that decision with a, with equal footing, not, yep. Oh, well, I got to do it because I'm, I'm literally <laughs> getting pushed into it because of economic issues and that, right. right. You know, we, we won't truly be, you know, equal and, yep. and, and all that unless we do that. So thank you yep. so much for your time. Stay safe. Thank and, you. Uh, let me know how it all goes. And uh, yeah, again, I'm looking forward to seeing how this all pans out. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. This was such a great conversation and good luck with everything you're doing too. And thank thanks for, for amplifying people's voices in the entrepreneur world. I think it's so important. It definitely is. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.